regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you've joined the program today. Uh, I think you know what the big topic of conversation is going to be, right? Wednesday's oral arguments at the Supreme Court in the case New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. Uh, as we uh, talked about on yesterday's program, I was actually doing the show as the oral arguments were wrapping up. So uh, I, I, I want to talk with somebody who knows a lot about uh, Second Amendment legal issues, about uh, previous court cases, and who is also able to watch uh, or at least listen uh, I was watching my computer screen and listening to the audio because we didn't see cameras in the courtroom, uh, but we did have microphones yesterday. Uh, but Chuck Michelle, who is the head of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, Second Amendment attorney in his own right, part of the uh, Second Amendment Law Center, along with uh, Second Amendment attorney and scholar Steve Hallbrook, uh, it did have a chance to uh, hear what the justices had to say on Wednesday, as well as plaintiff's attorney Paul Clement, former Solicitor General of the United States, uh, Barbara Underwood, who is the current Solicitor General, of uh, the state of New York, as well as the acting U.S. Solicitor General, all of whom were uh, quizzed by justices yesterday uh, in the case New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, where you have uh, two members of the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association. By the way, I uh, I, I botched the name of the plaintiffs uh, yesterday, uh, and apologies to uh, Mr. Robert Nash, who has been a guest here on this program for, uh, for doing so, a little bit of a brain fade, but uh, basically, you know, the conventional wisdom coming out of these oral arguments is that things look pretty good uh, for the right to keep and bear arms. You have a lot of liberals who are wringing their hands over the prospect of shall issue concealed carry coming not only to New York, but other states like California, which, of course, is where Chuck Michelle is located. So without any further ado, let's find out what Chuck thinks about what happened uh, during the oral arguments yesterday and how far the court might go in terms of uh, recognizing our right not only to keep, but our right to bear arms as well. Chuck, it's so good talking with you today. Thanks so much for joining me. Always a pleasure, Cam. Thanks for having me. All right, so I've got some specific questions that I want to ask, but uh, let me just uh, toss out a general question. Um, uh, how, how are you feeling overall after uh, hearing yesterday's oral arguments? Uh, very, very optimistic. I think we got a win. Uh, it depends on Justice Roberts whether it's uh, five to four or six to three. He, he surprisingly, everybody was concerned about him because the court had not taken some Second Amendment cases even after Justice Kennedy was gone that uh, that we thought they should have, and we figured it was because of him. Uh, but he was very—he sounded very supportive in oral argument of uh, of uh, the right to carry slash bear arms in public. And so I think we might have him, too. The question is going to be, how far will they go? How big of a win will that be? Mm -hmm. So what do you think some of the options are here? I mean, uh, because I, I agree with you. I, th I thought Justice Roberts, we got conservative Justice Roberts uh, during oral arguments yesterday. Um, you yeah, know, at one yeah. point, he even came out and said, OK, well, we don't license other rights. So why are we licensing this one? Um, which I thought was really interesting because, you know, Paul Clement is not arguing for constitutional carry. Uh, as much as some gun owners might like to see that, he, he, you know, he was asked specifically, would you accept shall issue? And he said, well, yeah, you know, as long as people can, as long as the average citizen can can bear arms, yeah, that would satisfy our argument. Um, so, so what do you think a, let's say, a narrow court ruling might look like? Let's say a 5-4 if we, if we can't get Justice Roberts to go along. Well, the question is going to be, uh, are they, are they going to completely switch over to text history and, uh, and tradition? as the standard of review as opposed to 
you know, some kind of tiered standard or the two-step uh, uh, tap dance that courts have been doing in order to try and uphold a bunch of things. Um, so uh, they might they might try and compromise on that. They also might there might be a, like a split opinion amongst the judges. You're not you're not necessarily going to have a unified block of of, of five or six. Uh, they might say parts of this should be remanded for fact finding, uh, uh, and uh, uh, this whole the, the thing that really wrapped them around the axle was this whole sensitive places. Mm-hmm. Like if you can carry in public, what areas of the pub, public can be prohibited from carrying? And so like Times Square on New Year's Eve or Giant Stadium or all these hypotheticals. And this is what the the liberal justices were really trying to get Paul uh, wrapped around the axle with. Uh, trying to say, well, if we can carry in public, well, why can't I, you know, carry in the middle of the, of, 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 of a baseball game, you know, or uh, a crowded venue? And then they got into this uh, population density-based argument, mm-hmm. and that's when some of the justices finally got back in there and said, no, you can't, you can't condition a right based on how densely populated the area you're in is. So. It, there are some complexities to this that could complicate the ruling. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I hope Justice Thomas and and and, and Alito, uh, and actually some of the others too, can get Roberts to kind of like get some consensus here. Interestingly enough, Thomas was very active in oral argument yesterday. He was really uh, uh, asking a lot of questions and making a lot of statements. He he was kind of rare for him. Yeah, and at one point, um, Justice Chief Justice Roberts actually kind of piggybacked off of uh, one of Thomas's lines of questioning to the New York uh, Solicitor General about that population density, uh, and that's where I think one of the lines of the oral arguments actually came from Chief Justice Joe Ro- or uh, Chief Justice John Roberts because uh, Barbara Underwood, the New York Solicitor General, is saying, "Well, you know, look, yeah, we're we're letting Mr. Nash and Mr. Koch, you know, they can carry if they're hunting or fishing," uh, and uh, Roberts responds with, "All right, well, how many muggings take place in a forest?" You know, why Why are you saying that the Second Amendment right to bear arms is being recognized by allowing people to carry where crime doesn't exist, but you're forbidding them from doing so where they might actually need to carry a firearm for self-protection? Right. So, uh, I, I, you know, I, I was encouraged by that, but um, the possibility of, of, a, of a split decision, in other words, you're talking about, you know, maybe a, a, a clear majority saying, uh, these may issue laws can't stand, but then all of a sudden now you start to see the court splinter off as they delve deeper into these issues. Right, and, and so they're going to say, well, "How far does that go? Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, have, you can't give an issuing agent the authority to just deny, to have complete discretion to deny a permit unless you have some, you know, good cause that that constitutes a special need beyond self defense." But where, where do you draw the line? And this is, this is what they were really wrestling with and what the liberal justices and the state, the attorney general and the Biden administration were trying to say, well, you know, this is unworkable, basically, is, was their argument. <laughs> but it's, but and, which is absurd but because working, we've got 42 it's, states. <laughs> where it's working, where it's working. They haven't had a real big problem trying to figure out what a sensitive place is. And, you know, the, the, and, and so, they got into this this big, big, very big sideshow, and Paul definitely had to do a little tap dancing because he didn't want to be committal and say, "Oh, sure, they can ban it in Times Square on New Year's Eve." Well, right. wait a minute. I mean, you know, I don't know. We, nobody really knows. I think what the test ought to be for where you can't bear arms. 
even if you have the right to bear arms generally. But is this even uh, the, so, I'm sorry to interrupt, but is this even the right vehicle for that? Because at one point, Paul no, said, you guys don't have no. to answer that question. We're not, we're not raising this question. The state of New York's raising that's this right. question. That's, that's right. That's, that's the next case. <laughs> you know, this is the Lawyers Full Employment Act. The good thing about this is, Second Amendment lawyers, the good thing about this is, this is going to be a hard reset. It's just a question of how hard and how big of a reset on all these cases. If they switch the standard of review, there's been several hundred cases decided wrongly, in my view, that have held a second a, a gun control law because they applied this uh, level of scrutiny that really was very deferential to the legislature and the government. Because the government, when you call the government on the carpet and say, put up the evidence that shows that what you're saying is true, that these laws actually make us safer, that, that these laws work the way you promise they will when you pass them, they can't do it. Mm-hmm. That's happened time and again in, in cases in California. When it, whether it comes to gun show bans, they put out all this baloney about how dangerous gun shows are, or, uh, or black rifles, oh, these are often more often used in crimes. But just the lies that they that they put out there in order to justify the laws. That ought to be a badge. <laughs> no lies to pass laws. <laughs> we need yeah, there you go. At least a bumper sticker, right? That's a meme. That's a meme. Exactly. And and that is, I think, a, a really important part of the case that hasn't gotten as many headlines. I mean, you know, a lot of the media is paying attention to the the specific issue of New York's carry laws, but the standard of review uh, again, that was a huge portion of the oral arguments was taken up about a okay, history text tradition. Justice Breyer, you know, kind of poo pooing that idea. I think even Justice uh, Kagan at one point said, well, you know, it seems to me like the, 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 there, there's plenty of history of, uh, you know, gun bans uh, and carry bans around the country. Um, so let me ask you, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll try to channel my inner uh, liberal wing of the court here. If the court does look at history, text and tradition, why do you think that New York's law, which has been on the books since, what, 1911? Um, why should that be tossed out? Wouldn't the history, text, and tradition indicate that uh, that this law should remain in place? No, because what she did was, when she was asking those questions, confused open and concealed carry. There may have been laws banning concealed carry, because in some states or some jurisdictions, concealed was considered sinister. They want you to have it open on your hip, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was, who knows when and what uh, cultural uh, uh environment they were operating in when they made that decision that uh, there was something inherently uh, evil about concealed, but not evil about open. Now the legislature, our our position has always been the legislature can choose to regulate it and say you have to carry openly or you have to carry concealed, but they can't ban it both ways. And so the historical ability to ban it uh, concealed when you're allowing it to be carried open that's not the same as saying you've always been able to ban carry overall. Right. So okay. the history is the history is not that you can ban carry. It's that in some jurisdictions you can ban concealed carry as long as you allow open carry. You can regulate the manner so, of carry, but you can't ban the practice entirely. Time, place, and manner restriction, and that's what Paul was saying. Some of these things, you know, like New York Times on, I mean, uh, New, Times Square on New Year's Eve is not really a sensitive area it's a time place and manner restriction you can't carry it right there at that time mm-hmm. and so the, these are these are the follow-up questions that will be wrestled with in subsequent cases and, and and unfortunately i think what's going to happen is there'll be a shift from this empirical analysis where 
the courts have to decide statistics and you have to bring in experts that say, you know, these guns are, don't serve any sporting purpose or, or, or they're not good for self-defense, so they should be banned. You know, this is a bad gun or these are bad people or this is a bad place for a gun. <clears throat> All of those statistics that used to be, they're really uh, difficult to, or time consuming, I should say, to, to litigate and expensive. Uh, may be put on the side because the, the, all that is really part of developing a policy, making a policy recommendation when you try and develop those fact findings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and those, that policy, those, but what, what text history and tradition does is say, well, what was the policy decision that the original framers, the founding fathers had? You know, they didn't care if, uh, uh, a, a lot of this stuff, uh, I mean, they had this internal debate about whether these types of laws would be effective or not. And they decided it doesn't matter. The right trumps that. So right. what will happen is, I think, we're going to have this switch from empirical analysis to historical analysis. And that's what Bloomberg, frankly, already caught on to. That's Mark and his team of 800 lawyers uh, caught on to. And that's why they have the Duke Center for Firearms Law. Already out there cranking out junk history. You know, it used to be junk science. Right. Now it's junk history. Yeah. And we're going to have to deal with that. In fact, that kind of came up uh, during the oral arguments when uh, was it Justice Alito uh, calling out uh, Barbara Underwood for for not accurately uh, talking about the text of a uh, I think it was a colonial era, North Carolina. That was statute, Kavanaugh. Right? Oh, that it was, was Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. Yeah. That was a very interesting thing. They, they, they said something about. It's evil to go about town carrying your guns and, you know, we're going to criminalize it. But she left off. I can't get, forget forget the exact quote in old English, but it was like, it's evil to go around town carrying your guns offensively. Right. That was the actual quote. And they left off offensively. And then she tried to say that any carry is offensive. <laughs> and and that, that was really, really, uh, I think, a bridge too far. Uh, and Kavanaugh wouldn't have it. And uh, so uh, I think she lost a lot of credibility by, by omitting that word and then lost further credibility in the first place in her brief and then lost further credibility because she tried to justify it by saying it was a meaningless word because all carry was offensive. Yeah, I mean, that's just absolutely uh, absurd. Offensive as in offensive as opposed to defensive. Not right. Offensive as, you know, insulting. Like, like you can't carry, anytime you carry a gun, it can't be, a de- you can't have a defensive purpose. You're always, and, and, and that and that actually, if you think about it, kind of typifies their worldview of gun owners. Mm-hmm. They yeah, don't really but, see it. But at the same time, it also exposes the hypocrisy because, mm-hmm. you know, look, New York City does grant carry permits to a chosen few, right? The politically connected, the powerful, the rich, the famous. Uh, it, it is yep. possible, depending on, uh, you know, the judge or the sheriff in your county, that you can get a, uh, you may get a, 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 a an unrestricted carry permit. So clearly the state itself doesn't even view all carrying of firearms as offensive in nature because they allow it to certain people <laughs> in certain circumstances. Well, it sounds like you nailed her hypocrisy. <laughs> All right. I got to ask you one last question before we let you go here. Um, I wrote a piece earlier today speculating that maybe possibly Elena Kagan uh, could sign on to at least part of a majority opinion. I mean, you talked about the, the prospect of split opinions. I was really intrigued by one of Kagan's comments uh, yesterday where she said, you know, on the surface, it makes sense that Wyoming and New York City would have different gun laws, but we don't treat 
writes that way. And it seemed like this was something she was really wrestling with. Uh, and I, you know, I went back and I remembered like, OK, well, she wasn't on the bench during Heller or McDonald. Elena Kagan was a, uh, a favorite hunting partner of Antonin Scalia. Uh, Kagan has talked about going pheasant hunting with uh, Scalia, and he took her out to Wyoming for a deer hunt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of curious if if, if if there's one person on the liberal wing of the court who I think could come along to at least say, yes, there is a right to bear arms. And then I'm going to disagree with my conservative colleagues about, you know, the the uh, authority or the power of the state to uh, re- restrict or regulate that right. It seems to me like Kagan, I'm, I'm curious to see what Kagan does with this decision. Yeah, well, I uh, <clears throat> hope you're right. It didn't occur to me. <laughs> that did not occur to me, but I hope you're right. Because I kind of got her in a box that, that I didn't hear her talking herself out of, but I hope you're right. Well, uh, you're, you're listen, you're the legal legal, not me. So uh, I'll, I'll put that aside. No, and- but, you know, sometimes you don't see things. Lawyers sometimes don't see things, see things that normal humans can see. So, well, you know. I- I'm at, I'm at least glad that you and I are uh, in agreement that uh, yesterday's oral arguments went pretty well for uh, for gun owners and for Second Amendment supporters. Yeah, so folks really need to think about uh, uh, contributing to CRPA because we are building a war chest. My firm will be filing multiple lawsuits, in not just in California, but nationally, uh, once we get this hard reset and, and we can challenge some of the stuff that's been Sorely needing a challenge for a long, long time in court. Absolutely. Uh, CRPA.org is the uh, website. I would also encourage people to check out the Second Amendment Law Center at 2ALC.org. And uh, Chuck, Michelle, thanks for everything you do. Thanks for spending some time with us today. I appreciate Chuck's insight and analysis and uh, looking forward to uh, we will have Chuck on, I'm sure, several times between now and the Supreme Court's uh, opinion being released in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. That probably won't happen until next May, maybe next June, maybe even early July. But uh, we've got a few months, I think, before this decision comes down. All right. uh, Now let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story. Our good deed of the day in our recidivist report, we will start there with a headline from uh, Beloit, Wisconsin, where a, a man out on probation for a previous shooting has been arrested for shooting. Yeah, well, at least four shots fired. Uh, a 24-year-old man from Beloit who's on probation following a shooting at a strip club in uh, Town of Rock in uh, June of last year, just June of last year, was arrested on Wednesday for allegedly shooting at two victims who were in a vehicle in Beloit. Officers responded about 9.45 Wednesday morning, broad daylight, uh, for a report of a shots fired. Victim reported that she and another individual were traveling in a car near the area when a suspect shot at them from another vehicle. Suspect identified as Jack Hesus Wiggins, uh, arrested on Wednesday afternoon on two possible counts of attempted first-degree intentional homicide. Now, he pleaded guilty to two counts of second-degree reckless injury for his role in a shooting back on June 20th of 2020 at the Blue Aster Cabaret in the uh, town of Rock. Uh, Weeks earlier, Wiggins had been charged in connection with a June 4th shooting that injured a woman in Beloit. Court records show that uh, the woman was not apparently the target of the shooting, but charges against Wiggins were dropped in the June shooting, or the June 4th shooting, as part of a a plea agreement with the Rock County DA's office about the shooting at the strip club on June 20th, like two weeks later. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, he had claimed self-defense in this case, and he was sentenced to uh, 30 months 
probation for his role uh, in this shooting. And here we are. And then, by the way, in exchange for that plea agreement of 30 months probation, again, charges were dropped in an earlier shooting. And now while he's out on probation, he's charged with shooting at two other people. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but it sounds like young Mr. Wiggins here hasn't learned his lesson. And he's not all that young. 24 years old. That's a grown day of man. So maybe it's time that there are some actual consequences attached to uh, Mr. Wiggins' crimes there in Beloit, Wisconsin. Today's armed citizen story, Williston, North Dakota, where an intruder was fatally shot by a homeowner. This was uh, Monday morning. Caller reported an individual breaking into their home who was shot just before 7 a.m. When authorities arrived, they uh, did find the suspect there, deceased uh, at that point. Uh, we don't have a lot of information. Uh, Sheriff Verlin Vande says there's no danger to the public, no further information provided. But at this point, it does appear to be a, a case of self-defense. We'll keep our eyes open for any follow-up details and to bring them to you as they become available. Uh, finally today, our good deed of the day from Livonia, Michigan, where an off-duty officer in the right place at the right time wasn't able to do the right thing to save an elderly woman who's home. Uh, was on fire. This happened back on October 25th, but it's just now uh, uh, coming to light here. Officer Ryan Ewitt, uh and his canine partner Dozer, uh, they both work for the Farmington Hills Police Department, live in Livonia, and the uh, human officer was, I think, the first to uh, spot the heavy smoke coming from a nearby neighborhood. Uh, they went to investigate, and Officer Ute and Dozer found a home that was fully engulfed in flames. The Livonia Fire Department had not yet been alerted to the blaze. When Ute got out of his car, uh, neighbors said, look, they, we think that there's somebody inside the house. Ute tried to go through the front door, but he couldn't. The heavy smoke and the flames beat him back. So he ran to the back of the home, was able to gain entry, uh, found the elderly woman inside. She was disoriented, but he was able to bring her outside to safety. Fire Department arrived on scene. They were able to extinguish the fire. Victim received treatment. Farmington Hills Police Chief Jeff King said, uh, quote, if not for the heroic intervention of Officer Ewitt, this resident may not have survived the smoke and fire spreading rapidly throughout her home. Our department's proud of Officer Ewitt's actions in saving this woman's life. His conduct is indicative of the extraordinary bravery of our officers and their commitment to serving and ensuring the safety of all citizens, regardless of circumstances or zip code. So again, in the right place, at the right time, not on the job, but still willing and able to do the right thing. Officer Ryan Ewitt and uh, K-9 Dozer. We thank you both for your very good deeds. Now, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with another program, but don't forget to check out BearingArms.com Friday and throughout the weekend for all of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about next week. Should be an interesting one. We're going to be talking uh, some red flag laws. Uh, hopefully, we're going to have a chance to talk about uh, gun control in New Jersey with a uh, an interesting guest. Perhaps I'm keeping my fingers crossed because, you know, I love to talk with people on both sides of this issue. It's rare that I get the opportunity to do so, because a lot of times if you find folks on the other side, they shut down. They don't want to talk to gun owners. They don't want to talk to Second Amendment activists. They just don't want to have that conversation. But I think we might be able to actually have a conversation with some of the other side next week. I hope we're going to be able to make that work. Uh, but until we uh, have a chance to uh, chat again, I hope that you do have a great weekend and you do visit BarryandArms.com. If you like what you see, you can always become a VIP member, of course. In fact, if you use the promo code GUNS, you can get 25% off of your VIP membership. That'll give you exclusive analysis, commentary, news stories each and every day. 
But you'll also get the warm, fuzzy feeling of helping to support programs like this, bypass the mainstream media, bring segment news and information forward that uh, folks might not otherwise receive. And we really, really do appreciate your support. Uh, you've seen some of the anti-gun reporting out there. It is vitally important that we have some balance on this issue. And uh, hopefully that's what this program provides. And thank you again for helping make it possible. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here soon. But until then, be well, be safe, and be free.